If you would bow with me in prayer, and then we're going to look at uh, Haggai chapter 2 together. But let's pray first. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for a beautiful, beautiful day, your creation that, that screams of who you are, just as we, we just sang. We thank you for that. Uh, I thank you that we have this place to gather together as your people, to, to hear directly from you as we open your word. We pray that you would uh, meet us in this time, that you would lead and guide us. Uh, as we ask every week, we, we cannot do this without you. And so we ask that the Spirit would be our teacher and our guide and our leader, that you would take the, the truth of your word and apply it to our hearts and minds this morning, that you would uh, show us more clearly who you are and how you love us and what you've done for us. And we pray that we would see that afresh this morning. Uh, we thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, to start with the simple question here of asking how many people have given up on their New Year's resolutions already? Any of them gone out the door? You know, you always say like, I'm going to I'm going to work out five times uh, a week. And then two weeks in, it's like, oh, I forgot to work out, you know, and then or, or quickly uh, maybe kind of challenge just even reading and spending time in God's word. And it's like, I'm going to be gung ho and my my read through the Bible plan. And then all of a sudden it's two weeks in and you're like, I'm four days behind. How did that happen? Or, or sometimes those things start to creep in. And, and it's easy for those things to start to happen, especially if we're trying to form new habits. Uh, I don't know about for you, but for, for me, it helps me a lot uh, to kind of walk through something with someone else. And so I've gotten into the habit over the last few years of I like to read and I always have these books. I have a big stack of books that I'm working on and wanting to read. And so what I started to do is I asked people to read books with me. Hey, would you read this with me? And we'll get together next week and we'll talk about the first couple of chapters. And by putting those in place, all of a sudden I have this accountability built in. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm meeting with him on Tuesday. I got to make sure I read those two chapters. And, and it helps me greatly to do that. It helps me to put those checks in place. And so I end up reading a lot more, uh, reading more diligently, finishing all the books that I want to read because I have other people kind of holding me accountable in that. Um, I was actually reading an article this week that says that exact thing. It, it, it was a study uh, that Stanford University did. And they found that if you have somebody call you every two weeks, just one phone call every two weeks about your workout plan, that people were 78 percent more likely to continue to work out. Just by having a phone call to somebody to say, like, hey, are you doing it? How's it going? Uh, they did another study uh, with, with women uh, as they worked out, if they had a workout partner. And what they found is they burned almost 50 more calories by working out with another person. And they worked out on average 42 minutes versus 36 minutes if they had somebody else to work out with them. And so there's this thing about this accountability and doing it together that we do better than if we seek to do it on our own. And I was thinking about that because that's exactly what the Bible says. Right? Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And what God says is, is don't neglect doing that. You need one another. Uh, th there's all these passages throughout the New Testament in particular where it uses that phrase over and over and over again, or the one another passages. And, and what it tells us to do in those passages is it says uh, not just to consider to stir one another up, but then it talks about confessing our sins to one another, praying for one another, uh, instructing one another, comforting one another uh, through love, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, restore each other in a spirit of gentleness over and over and over and over again. We have these commands. 
of these things as we walk through this life and the Christian life together, that we're to do it together, that we're to encourage one another in all these ways. And it's important as we consider what we're going to talk about this morning in Haggai chapter two. Uh, if, If you were with us two weeks ago, we started this short little book in the back of the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets, one of those books that we often just glaze right over. We kind of skip right past. But we talked about Haggai uh, through God sending this prophet Haggai and he calls the people to consider their ways. Consider your priorities and what you spend time on. And what we looked at is what God says clearly in chapter one is the fruit we bear in our life is what we give our time to. And so God calls us to consider our ways and everybody kind of gets revved up and they're excited. But then we get to chapter two and he's calling us again. And what I want us to do as we pick up in chapter two is seeing going from that place of understanding cognitively, we hold the idea, we come and gather and we hear God's word and we say, yes, that's right. And I think that's what it says. And I should do that. But then the next step of actually doing it, how do we move from going? Yes, that's right. And amen. And I'm excited. But then tomorrow when we wake up, actually living those things out. And so just a little background, if you weren't with us two weeks ago or or you've forgotten in two weeks. But but the book of Haggai is the people of God. Israel has moved back into the land that God had promised to Abraham after being exiles for a time. And so what we know throughout history and what we see unfold in the Old Testament is that Israel was taken out by the Babylonians in around 586 B.C. They came in and destroyed everything. They destroyed the temple. They ransacked the place. They took the best and brightest out with them and they took them into exile in Babylon. And then Babylon would fall from power and the Persians would come in and they would allow them to return. And so about 40 years later, they they allow them to return. And when we open the book of Haggai, they've been back in the land for almost 20 years. And what we saw two weeks ago, and we're going to pick up with today, the background here is they've moved back into the land. They've rebuilt their houses. They started to put up the city walls. They started to rebuild everything, but yet the temple still lays in ruins. It's just a foundation. They did the foundation, but then they kind of stopped. And what we saw is that was a picture of their spiritual apathy. They've come back, but then they quickly stopped. And so when we pick up here in chapter two, we're going to see God kind of calling down again. He's going to say, like, what about the temple? Are we going to do this? What does it look like to live out your faith? And so as we think about moving from just knowing something in our minds to actually living it. And by the way, I'm going to tell you in just a second. I think the Bible tells us that to know something means that we do it. It's synonymous in Scripture that if you know this, this is now how you live. And so to move from just it being an idea in our minds to actually living it. There's three things that God does here that's going to help us in that. And the first thing is we need to embrace that God says here is that conviction of sin, healthy conviction through the Holy Spirit is a good gift of God. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but that that's God's grace in your life to convict you of the things that you're not following him in. And that's because he loves you and he wants your best. And so conviction of sin is good. Secondly, I want us to consider that knowing means action. That if we truly know something as scripture calls us to, it means we're going to change the way we live and we're going to begin to live those things out. But then lastly, as we consider and we start to make those steps, 
and we start to live those things out, we need to rest in who we are in Christ. As we move in action, we can rest in the results and what we're doing and who we are in Jesus. And so I want us to think through those three things together. So let's just start with this first part of embracing a conviction of sin is good. I don't know if you thought about that. That might even seem like a strange statement. But look at what God says right at the beginning here. So pick up in chapter two, verse one, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? And I want you to think about the question that God tells them to ask. There's some guys, some older guys in the community that are around that can remember what the temple looked like before. They saw it before they were taken captive and taken off to Babylon and before it was destroyed. And he says, ask around and ask the guys who saw it before. How does it compare to as it is now? Now, it's, it's a rhetorical question. He's asking what he's doing is bringing to light what everybody would know. They would look at the temple now and see that it's in ruins. It's just the foundation. There is no comparison. But what God is doing is he's calling them out. He's kind of showing them by bringing clarity to the way they're living, to where they're not trusting him and what they're not doing. It's it's, uh, as he begins to ask, it shines a light on the areas of their heart that they're not seeking to honor him. It's like with uh, my kids when I say uh, you can go outside and play, but you have to clean your room first. And I say, have you cleaned your room? And they go, yeah. And I go, OK, well, let's go look at it. And they go, just a second. I'll be right back. And you hear them run upstairs and they're quickly throwing stuff in drawers and whatever. And it's like when you walk up there and you walk into the room and you see that it's not clean, it's like, well, what is it? Well, it's kind of, clean. you know, the same thing when God says, look at the temple. And, and they look over and it's just a slab. It's just the foundation. There's nothing there. And it shines a light and it shows the truth, exposes their hearts. They can say all they want. Yes, it's important and we're going to rebuild it. And that's great. And that's wonderful. But when it's sitting there in ruins, it reveals what they really care about. It reveals your heart when that gets shined on a light shined on it. And you can say, yeah, 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 I believe this and I believe this. And that's great. And that's wonderful. You know, two weeks ago, we talked about the importance of of abiding in God's word. And we, we, we gave you the challenge of, hey, there's, there's reading plans out there. If you haven't started, if you're not reading your Bible, just spend five minutes, begin to do that. And you can say, great, great, that's wonderful. But we need other people to come alongside us and go, hey, what's God showing you this week? What are you learning? What's God saying to you? We're called to do that to one another. And that's a good thing. And when you go, yeah, I can't think of anything he said to me this week. Maybe I'm not spending enough time listening to what God's saying to me. Am I really abiding in his word? And so oftentimes we don't like those kind of questions. You go, oh, I'm going to insulate myself and I'm going to keep everybody away because I don't want you to ask those kind of things. We'll just stay on a level. We see each other on Sunday. You good? Yeah, I'm good. Okay, great. See ya. But it's a good thing when a healthy conviction begins to come and it brings clarity of the areas of our heart where we're not completely trusting God. 
I was reading in a book this week, and here I am working on this and this point, and then the author says this thing that just goes right with it. So listen, listen to the way he says it. He says, if we are to be disciples of Jesus, who are being reformed and restored to become more like him, we need to have people in our lives who are up close and personal. We need people who can see where we do or do not yet believe the truth about Jesus and what he's done for us. You've got to be pretty close to begin to see those things. Right. Passing each other for two minutes. Hey, how you doing? I'm OK. I'm OK. On Sunday morning, you don't get to that. And he says we have to be up close and personal. And then he says when the layers are pulled back, we need people to speak the truth of the gospel to our needs. Apply the truth of who God is and the way he loves you and what that works with, uh, how that works itself out in your everyday life and everything. And then he goes on to say, and this is where we usually check out. We have to get into one another's lives and it's messy and it's intrusive and it's uncomfortable and at times it's hurts and it's not easy. Who's ready to sign up? Right. You go, that's great. Messy and uncomfortable and intrusive and it hurts. But if we are devoted to Jesus and leading others to Jesus in all of life, it's worth it because it changes us and it changes others, leading us to become the restored people Jesus wants us to be. That's what all those one another passages are talking about. And to begin to grow into what God calls us to be, it means being involved in those ways. Being able to say those things, being able to point them out, to correct and encourage one another, to restore one another in a spirit of gentleness. I'll give you an example uh, outside spiritual things. Uh, or maybe it's spiritual in some ways. It's all spiritual. I shouldn't say that. It's all God's. <laughs> But uh, a lot of you guys know Luke's been a coach at CrossFit for a while and he does that. And I've gone and worked out with him some and he started to teach me some of the workouts and stuff. And it's really, really humbling. And one of the most humbling things is, is he was teaching me how to do a squat correctly. And I'm terrible at it. And he said, you're dipping your shoulders, right? So if you start to lean forward, you're in trouble. And he took a video on his phone, right? And I didn't know it. And we got done. He's like, hey, let me show you this. And it's like, oh, is that me? <laughs> Do I really look like that? I'm like struggling and bending over and it's awful in every way. And he goes, see how you're dipping your shoulders and you're not keeping your weight back. And this is why. And it's like, yes, I didn't want to see it. It's kind of depressing. You're like, I can't believe I look like that. But now I understood much more clearly by him taking the time to show me, hey, this is this is where you're off. And you go, yeah, I'm way off. But that's correcting in a loving way. I'm going to come alongside you because I want you to do this right. I don't want you to hurt yourself. I want you to be able to do it the right way. So I'm going to show you where you're off. And so we have to embrace that that's actually a good thing. Oftentimes we insulate ourselves from that. And I'm not going to let you in to do that because I don't want to be embarrassed. And I want you to think about why that's the case. It's because so often we get our identity from our performance rather than who we are in Jesus. I don't want you to see this because you're going to see that I'm all messed up. And I make mistakes and I don't do it right and I lose my temper and I yell at my kids and I don't do the things perfectly the way I should. And when you see that, you're going to realize I'm all kinds of messed up. But that points us to our righteousness, our hope. We just sang it, did we not? My one hope, my righteousness is Jesus. 
And so we have to embrace in our identity in Christ that it's a good thing to be conformed to his image, to have a healthy conviction of sin. And we're to help one another walk through that. And so that's the first thing you see God doing that with his people here. He says, look at the temple. Is it what it was before? And the answer is clearly no. It's not even close. But then look at the second thing he does with them. So pick up again in verse three. Who is left among you who saw this house and its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Right. Nobody can argue with that point. It is very clearly true. And so he says, yet now be strong. Oh, is there a bubble? Declares the Lord, be strong, O Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. What does he say? He says, we all clearly see it. This healthy conviction that we're not doing what we've been called to do. And so God says, okay, I'm with you. Now do it. He says right there in verse four, I am with you declares the Lord to work. That's what repentance looks like when healthy conviction comes and we see that we're doing things that we're not supposed to or we're not doing things that God's called us to as they were here. And he calls us and he brings that healthy conviction and he shows us. Then we turn and we begin to do it. And I would submit to you that the Bible says that's what it means to know it, to really know. It's easy to say, yeah, 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 I know that. Okay, so so what do you do now? Where do you go? For, for example, if we put it in a, in a different example, like I can teach you how to shoot a basketball. I can tell you cognitively, even right now. But when you take a basketball, you want your hand underneath it and on your fingertips and your arm makes an L and you keep your hand in and you go straight up and you follow through. And that's the way you're supposed to shoot a basketball. That's, you know, your feet are pointed at the goal and you're ready and you shoot. You go, okay. well, it sounds like he knows how to shoot a basketball. We can then go out on the court and I could take the ball and airball it 10 times in a row. And you go, ah, you know, he sounds like he knows how to shoot a basketball, but I'm not sure that he actually does. It takes not just a cognitive knowing it's now beginning to work that out and practice and put it into practice and do it. Just to say and be able to explain it doesn't mean that I really know it. You see the difference? And I think the Bible begins to talk that way. God will say, you will know I'm the Lord. And then he will talk about an action that he's going to then do. You will now see who I am by what I do. Now, God is different than us in that his words always match exactly and perfectly who he is. So the Lord's word is eternal and it never returns void and it's perfect because it matches exactly who he is. Oftentimes we'll say, yeah, yeah, I believe this. And then we don't do any of those things. And so the question becomes, do we really believe that? Now, that doesn't mean that you're not a believer if you don't do all the things that you say perfectly, because you're not a believer based on your work, but on Christ's work. But the evidence of our faith begins to be played out in how we then live as we take who God is and what he's done. You know, last week we were talking about priorities. Consider your ways. And so we can go, yes, I believe what Jesus says in John 15. Abide in my word and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We talked about that two weeks ago. And we can say, yes, 
I believe that I need to be abiding in God's word. And so I just ask the question, do you know that in your day to day life? Do you really know that? Or does abiding in God's word and spending time in his word take a backseat to all these other things? Do you really know that? Because that's the picture that the Bible calls us to. God shows them a healthy conviction and then he says, I'm with you now work. Now do this. Now, here's the hard part of that. Whenever we start to talk that way. Whenever we start to talk about what we're to do and what it looks like to work that out in our heart, we twist and distort that to be I'm now this because of what I do. We make our worth and our value be based on our works. We, we, that is our default in the sinfulness of our hearts. I do this, so therefore I'm this. And we begin to want to make it that, but that's, that's not the truth of who God is and the way he responds to us. Look at what he says, the very next thing here. Right? So he says, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, for I am with you. Right? And, he, and he's telling them that you're going to work and you're now going to do this. He says that in verse 4. He says, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According... And then what does he say? He says, am I now with you because you're doing my work? Is that what it says? You do this and now I love you. Is that the way God speaks? No, that's what our heart wants to do. But what it says is look at what he says. I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt and my my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Do you understand what he's saying? Why is he with us? Why is he with his people here? God has covenantally committed himself to be faithful to you forever. And it rests on his character, not yours. Praise be to God that that is true. He says, I am with you. So do this. And so as we begin to work and as we begin to know and see this, the truth is, is that God in his grace has shown us this and he's allowed us to begin to work. And it's by his grace alone that we're doing any of it. It's not we do it and now he loves me. We're doing it because he loves me and I'm seeing it and now I'm working that out. Do you see the difference? Faith is evident or or works is evidence of our faith. We're not earning it by what we do, but as we see it, we begin to live it out. And it's evidence that we now know and understand and our hearts are being formed in his image. And so that we begin to work it out. Do you see the difference? And so knowing, truly beginning to know who God is, is going to bear this fruit in your life. You're going to begin to do it. And those works don't save you. They're just evidence that you now see it, that he's now working in you. Now, the hard part of this is sometimes we talk about uh, reading our Bible uh, because we love God and we want to spend time with him. And that's true. I hope that's true. Hope you know that. I hope you're doing that out of an overflow of your heart. But the truth is, there's times when God calls us to things and we don't feel like doing it. You ever feel that way? You ever get to the end of the day and you're tired and you look over and you haven't opened your Bible at all? You go, I really should read my Bible. 
I really should open it. Jesus says, abide in my word and I will abide in you and bear much fruit. Yeah, I should do that. But you're like, I really just want to lay here and watch TV. You ever feel that way? It's okay if you do. It's our fleshliness. It's our heart. We, we do feel that way. But, but what I've seen, even in my own life, is there's days I feel that way. And I go, you know what? I'm going to read my Bible anyway. I, I'm going to kind of make myself do it. And God is so gracious and so kind and so long-suffering and so loving that he meets you there. It's, it's kind of like when you don't want to work out. You know, I don't want to work out. I'd rather lay on the couch and eat ice cream <laughs> or whatever. But then you go, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go work out. And it's hard at first. And then all of a sudden you feel better. And you go, I'm so glad I did that. And I think there's times when we, we obey and we step out in faith and what God tells us, even though when our emotions aren't quite there, and he meets us in that. And he begins to change us. There's, there's been so many times that I go, I don't really feel like it. And then I open and then God is so gracious and he meets you right in the middle of it. And then it becomes this habit that begins to come formed in you. And there's all this evidence of every time I open my Bible, God keeps meeting me there. And then I go, I can't wait to open my Bible. I can't wait to meet him there. But oftentimes our obedience needs to come. We need to go, I'm going to obey. And God is gracious to bring our heart in line with our obedience in both ways. He meets us in the midst of that. And so I'd say to you that when we look at this picture that God uh, this knowing is now doing. God says, go and work and do this. And he meets us there. But as we, we end, and the last thing I want us to consider, but as we begin to do that, as we begin to make those steps, as we begin to walk that out, as we begin in obedience, we can rest in what we're doing, not only what we're doing, but in the fruit of what we're doing and who God is and what he's done. Look at the last thing it says here. He says, work, I am with you according to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not for thus says the Lord of hosts. Yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations. So the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, I want you to think about this picture. He's telling them, I want you to work. I want your lives to show what you believe. And so do this and get to work. But then he says, and as you do, something's going to happen that you can't fathom. The glory is going to be far greater than you can imagine. Now, if you know Israel's history at all, they've seen some pretty incredible things as related to God's temple. It goes all the way back to the tabernacle in Exodus. God gives them these plans for a tent that will later become the temple. Same dimension, same idea, same picture, but it was movable before. And they they put together this tabernacle in the wilderness and they set it all up. And you know what happens? God fills the tabernacle with his glory. 
And during the day, they'd see a cloud above it and at night, a pillar of fire. And God showed them so greatly that he was with them and they could approach him. And this is the way it looked and how it worked. And then later they move into the land that God promises. And under Solomon, they build a permanent structure. And the same thing happens. He prays to dedicate the temple and fire and clouds come down and God fills it with his glory. And the people knew these images and these pictures and had, had read about them and, and, and heard this. And then God says, here, I'm going to do this again. And it's going to be greater than it's ever been before. Now, if you know about the history of Israel, they rebuild this temple. They physically build the structure. And when they get done, the old guys that saw the, the one before and the new one, they all weep because it doesn't compare. But it doesn't look anything like it. It was so much better before. And they, and they weep over it. So what's God talking about? He says, the day's coming when I'm going to do this thing that is so much greater than anything you can imagine. He's talking about what Jesus is going to do. He's talking about what Hebrews tells us is the true and better temple that's going to come. The one that will bring peace. The one that will be the treasure of, of every nation. The one that will come and bring this all together in a way that they could not fathom. And so here's what I want you to see. When we consider the work that we're to do, we're to live out our faith and we're now to operate in this way and we're to do these things. The ends of how that's all going to come together is completely and totally dependent on our Savior and nothing else. It's by his grace that he's going to do what he's going to do and he graciously allows us to be part of it. And so do you know what that means? You are a free to go full bore after God's glory because he's going to do it. And we get to be part of it. And so you go, I don't know what this looks like, but I want to dream big and I want to see God glorified. And the good news is it's going to happen. I may blow it. I may come up with different plans and ideas and I'll fall flat and then I'm going to try again. But the good news is that Jesus is going to come and complete it totally. And so do you understand the good news that is? God's going to convict us of our sin. He's going to show us the areas we're not trusting in him. Then he's going to change our hearts and we're going to begin to do that. But he who began a good work in you is going to complete it. He's going to finish it completely and totally. So we don't have anything to fear. We get to be part of it. And so God says, work. I'm going to do this thing in your midst that you can't even imagine. And just as they were waiting for the Messiah to come the first time, we wait with eager anticipation for Jesus to return again. We're in the same position. The only difference is God's glory doesn't dwell in a temple or a place. He now dwells in you through the spirit because of what Christ has done. Oh, the glorious good news of the gospel what God is going to do among us. And so I would just say to you, as we, we book in the, the first week, we talked about chapter one and chapter two, consider your ways, the things that are of eternal value that God has invited you in to be a part of, that we get to be part of this. What good news. And when we blow it, he still loves us. And as we continue to do it, he still loves us. It's all his grace. So let's pray. God, I thank you.
uh, for this picture of your loving correction uh, of the way you send your word to show us the areas where we're not completely following you. But then you call us into something so much more. And then in all of it, that our identity and our worth is not found in these things, but it's found in Jesus alone. And for that, we just simply say thank you. I pray that you would stir in our hearts and the power of your spirit exactly what you would have us to be, where you want us to serve, where you want us to work for your glory. I pray that we would do so, that each person here would know uh, the love and the acceptance that we have in Jesus, that it's not dependent on our work, that we get to live this way in light of who we are in you, and that we would give our lives to your honor and your glory. We pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.